This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Well, my guest today is a local mental health advocate and the recent recipient of the Newfoundland and Labrador Human Rights Award champion for mental health, Glenn Royal. Hello. Hello, Linda. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak to you and your audience. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, right off the top, I suppose, introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your mental health journey. Okay. Uh, well, I... Uh Long-time resident of Newfoundland, born, bred here, uh, born in St. John's, grew up in Exception Bay South at all. Um, you know, a lovely family that I, I kind of grew up with, uh, you know, good parents and uh, two siblings younger than me. Um, my uh, my journey on mental health uh, is that uh, I was always considered a very child, a quite shy child, and uh, officially... Uh, when I was 15, I was diagnosed with uh, generalized anxiety and social anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, I was always very challenged of not really fitting in with my peer group or having, you know, uh, like in school or being involved with various activities or not even having a girlfriend at the time. Uh, through my journey uh, with, with my uh, mental health sort of thing, uh, I had a very loving grandmother who was effectively my rock that kept me... Uh, you know, knowing that Glenn would eventually achieve what he means to achieve in his life. And then I had a couple of uh, tragedies of losing a father in 2004, but then I lost my grandmother the following year in 2005. And in uh, 2008, I went through a scenario that uh, I went through an incident that I ended up with post-traumatic stress disorder. And from that, uh, the last number of years, the last 14 years, I've been a significant advocate for change uh, due to the fact that I don't have my immediate family around me anymore. But I have acquired a number of great friends that I do call my honorary family at all. And uh, I've worked locally, nationally, and globally on this issue. And it's no faith that there's so many people that are dealing with mental health, so it's more important to get out and discuss it. And the more it's discussed, the less the stigma is in society, and the better it is for overall community and wellness. So it's fair to say it's your passion. Very much so, Linda. So you were diagnosed at a relatively young age. Did you know something was amiss or that you were, you know, um, navigating life differently than others? Yes, I did, Linda. Uh, I have always been told by my family and, and very close friends over time that I was always considered a very old soul. And I felt even when I was a child and growing up in my teenage and uh, my early 20s, I could feel like I could relate better to older people. And it very much challenged me that I never had the close friendships of a lot of people that established uh, during the early years. And uh, at times it really hurt me tremendously not having and, and being involved with stuff. And, uh, but, you know, ironically to what I've got, come through at all, uh, I've gained so many more people at all, but uh, it, it did hurt me tremendously. And how did your anxiety manifest itself? Were there particular scenarios or or just uh, generally speaking? Um, it, it pretty much affected most of my ability to, uh, I think, function. Uh, you know, I felt very comfortable kind of in my, you know, house setting, you know, with my family. But 
uh, going out to going to school, I was always very nervous and I never felt like I could fit in and it did affect my, my schooling. Uh, you know, and when I was out visiting with uh, other extended relatives at all, I never felt that I felt comfortable to be outside of being with my very close grandmother and my grandfather on my mother's side. But um, it, it, was, it was very challenging. So you were most comfortable, I suppose, with the things that you were familiar with and your That's supports. Uh, but you indicated that you went through a very difficult period there where some of those supports were no longer there. Yes, that's correct, Linda. And uh, when that that happened at all, I think it was the reality wake up for me that effectively I had to kind of stand on my own two feet. And if I didn't make uh, my stand in life, I wouldn't know where I am today sort of thing. So uh, it was very challenging. Uh, Many days I didn't know from one day to another where I was going to be, how I was going to deal, you know, what kind of income that I had sort of thing, where I would stay sort of thing. And but I think I was just very lucky that I came across, and I shouldn't use the word luck. I just think probably very blessed. But uh, it it it's it's it, it's been an eye-opening thing about how people can fall through many systems and ultimately come out. But I know so many other people that don't. Well, indeed, and you mentioned that you had a lot of support from your grandmother in particular and others in your family. Um, when you found yourself in that position to, you know, trying to make your own way, what were the supports in the community like for you? Do, were you able to find them? Were you able to seek them out? Were you aware of them? Uh, I think I kind of uh, had to do my own kind of research sort of thing at all. Uh, I mean, several of the supports that were in the community at the time was... Um, I reached out to Channel, which now has been rebranded as LifeWorks sort of thing, and found fellow peers that were dealing with their own mental illness and their own mental health struggles sort of thing. That seemed to be quite helpful. Uh, you know, good works of people with the Salvation Army that uh, that has helped me through some of my journey. Uh, many people in various safe communities uh, that I got heavily involved and helped uh, be involved overseeing ministries uh, with the Pentecostals and other and, and the Anglican Church and um, good works inside Eastern Health. But effectively, I think I was a person who knew what I needed for myself, and I thought it out what I said, that if people don't have the right connections or be persistent, they feel like they're kind of lost. And I want to explore that a little bit more when we come back after the break, because it sounds like you were, a, you know, sort of a self-driven kind of individual, uh, able to seek those out, but not everybody is. So I want to talk to you a little bit about some of those uh, connections and supports that are out there and how they either benefit or fail people um, who are on their own mental health journey. My guest today on, on, on Target is a mental health advocate and recipient of the 2021 Newfoundland and Labrador Human Rights Award champion for mental health, Glenn Royal. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And this is Mental Health Awareness Week. My guest today is mental health advocate Glenn Royal, and he's uh, offered to join us today on this very important day. Uh, uh, and Glenn, how you doing? 
I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Linda? <laughs> good, good. I uh, just want to make sure because, you know, live radio is sometimes a nerve-wracking thing in and of itself. So just make sure everything is okay. Um, so you mentioned some of the uh, connections and supports that you were able to seek out. And it looked like Channel, or it's recently been re- rebranded, of course, to LifeWorks. Um, that was your, your jumping-off point, your where you got were able to start off. Um but it sounds to me like you you went to a lot of different supports in the community, both through the faith community and, and through the, the health system. Um, is that part of the difficulty, that there are so many different types of supports out there? I think that's correct, Linda. Uh, like you say, at the time when I first kind of, you know, narrowed my way or hollowed my way out of, you know, coming out of my crisis, um, there's, there's many avenues at the time. I mean, I think a bit more singular to the day than it, than it was back then, but uh, it, uh, uh, any person that really understood what I was dealing with offered me support, I took a veil of, and uh, it was great. I mean, even you know, the Canadian Mental Health Association, the good work that they were doing at all. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, for somebody that don't know where they can get an access point, it, it, it can be very challenging. So, um, you were somebody who recognized in yourself that there was something going on. You got diagnosed uh, in your teenage years, but there are a lot of people who are living with mental health impacts and mental illness that are undiagnosed. Um, how do they navigate the world? How how can they access the healthcare system if they if they know and in some cases don't know that something is not quite right? Well, what I would advise people to uh, either reach out to, you know, the family doctor, even though there's uh, of Newfoundlanders don't have access to uh, family doctors, uh, reach out to any public health nurses, uh, anybody that may be connected through the mental health and addiction service throughout the province sort of thing. Uh, you know, yesterday the province had rebranded the uh, mental health crisis line sort of the single access number to the 811 system sort of thing. Um, Teach out help because there's no uh, reason why you can't, because once you know that you're dealing with an illness or a disorder and you can can give a a good team around you that I've developed an incredible team around me uh, medically and professionally and then the informal support and I couldn't be more than blessed. I know there are an awful lot of people doing good work out there and, uh, uh, you know, devoting their lives uh, to uh, mental health care. But um, when it comes to the continuum of care for people with uh, severe or profound or ongoing mental health uh, illness, um, what about the continuum of care? Is it enough? Does it break down? Are there areas that need greater attention than others? Absolutely, Linda. Uh, I know from personally at times when I've had a disconnect of continuous care when I was dealing with one particular uh, mental health professional and after one particular issue was resolved, effectively, um, I think there was policy at the time with Eastern Health or some of the regional health authorities that people only had the ability to uh, be carried by a counsellor or psychologist for a period of, of about a year. Now, I think some of those uh, services are changing, but it, it, when people do not have that consistent person that they need to rely on to talk on and they have to reopen wounds of their trauma and their mental illness, 
it can be very difficult sort of thing. So I think I would implore the Fury government and Minister Hagee and Premier Fury and the regional health authorities to do the best they can, but do even better because there are so many people uh, don't want to go in and, and talk to somebody in one particular clinic through doorways or through whatever other services that is offered through the community. And it, it's critically important for uh, wellness and, and longevity. And what about monitoring through the system? Somebody who's living with a long-term illness um, that needs you know, regular monitoring, ensure that they're taking the right meds and that the meds are working properly and those kinds of things. Is there enough in the community in terms of that long-term care? Uh, it's better than what it was, but I think there's more that can be done. Uh, there's a lot of the uh, flexible community treatment teams that deal with people with much more persistent issues if it's on the, the spectrum of bipolar or schizophrenia at all. But um, those caseloads are becoming overloaded, and I know the RHAs are trying to uh, create more teams into the system. But uh, what I've heard from some people, uh, it's almost like a hit and miss, depending on what they're getting, and I don't think that should be good enough in 2022. So from your perspective, where are the uh, gaps, if you will, or, or some of the areas where the system fails? Uh, well, I think in terms of accessing, if you need to see psychiatry or uh, long-term counselling, I think that's uh, still a big issue in the system. As much as government promotes the step here, and I understand not everybody needs to see psychiatry, but uh, some people really do. Uh, and I think it's myself and other advocates have been very vocal about the long-term uh, mental health care in terms of if people don't have socially determined health of stable housing, of food security, of uh, employment opportunities, education opportunities, uh, the opportunity to volunteer, to be engaged in the community, uh, people could pretty much find themselves in a spiral. So I think that's where I think government really needs to push because if they kind of just you know, help people through and they don't give them those supports that they need to become full functioning members of society. It's either going to become a long-term issue back on the healthcare system or the province or the country, or also potentially the justice issue uh, or the justice system, because a lot of people fall themselves through that piece as well. And that's unfortunate. And I want to ask you about not only supports for for uh, patients or, or people living with mental um, health, um, you know, issues or whatever the case may be, but uh, but also for supports for family, friends, and the general public. Because oftentimes, if somebody's having a really bad day or they're undergoing a mental health crisis, uh, it may not be um, you might not recognize it in yourself or know how to deal with it. At at that particular moment, uh, but you might have, let's say, somebody on the street notices something's amiss, or your coworker might say, "Oh, he's off today," or "She's just not herself." Where are the supports and and the where's the information for people who recognize something is not quite right, want to help? Where can they go? Well, I mean, you can search out uh, stuff online. I mean, um, if it's through the 811 system, if it's through uh, the regional health authorities, being Eastern Health, kind of the, the mainstay, uh, you know, services inside government at all. And if not, um, you know, reach out to various community organizations. And like you say, you know, channel rebranding of LifeWorks, the Canadian Mental Health Association, 
both organizations have tremendous amount of people that not just deal with individuals based on peer services, but deal with family and friends, uh, the schizophrenic society out there. Uh, they do tremendous work, and there's a lot of education and other uh, programs that that group offers sort of thing. And um, there's a lot of support groups inside, like it's say Eastern Health and some of the community services. And um, if not, just, you know, reach out to a trusted person in the community. If it's somebody, if it's in the school system, because I know children uh, over the last two years have had a lot of issues dealing with mental illness or mental health challenges because of the pandemic. So reach out to your guides, counselors, to the principals, the teachers, uh, people in the faith community. They may be connected sort of thing to call. So uh, pastoral care services. So, uh, you know, there's lots out there. Uh, sometimes it's challenging to make that first phone call or send that first email. But uh, knowing that there is a kind and compassionate people that are on the other line uh, wouldn't really know. And uh, it's very helpful because, uh, you know, everybody's struggling with something these days. And, uh, and I think it's true that most people do want to help. I think some people feel like, though, they they might say or do the wrong thing. I think that's what holds some people back from, from offering that compassionate care that uh, might be needed at that particular moment. And that's correct. But I think at the end of the day, I want to emphasize the more that people can actually help somebody, people can actually have a better quality of life. And I just wish, and, and I somewhat, some say regret of not having the right people that really had my back at the time, that I missed out an opportunity in life. But as, as, as articles that I've shared with you and others in terms of my story be published internationally with John Hopkins University, uh, sometimes it's a bit of a blessing in disguise. So people got to go at their own rate. Uh, there's no perfect or silver bullet in terms of people's uh, recovery journey. Uh, do whatever you feel that's important for yourself or your loved one. My guest today on in this uh, Mental Health Awareness Week is mental health advocate and a recent recipient of the Newfoundland and Labrador Human Rights Awards champion for mental health, Glenn Royal. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And my guest today is mental health advocate Glenn Royal. This is Mental Health Awareness Week. And uh, Glenn, you've been on this journey yourself for a little while now. How have things changed? Have you seen many improvements? Yes, I have, Linda. Um, I think uh, the one thing they can look that has improved is that, uh, you know, for, from the consistency of, of care, from my own standpoint, has been good because I recently have connected to a good uh, um, medical professional and a mental health professional, and uh, I'm very happy to have this person that really understands what I'm going through, and I'm really, really, really blessed on that. And you're comfortable, you know, with uh, with your caregiver and all of that thing. D d does that make uh, a big difference too? Very much so at all, because if you had to go see one person on one particular day and then go see another particular person on another particular day, it would be that you'd be wasting your, your session with this individual and literally not making progress and steps of, of recovery sort of thing. So I'm, I'm pleased. I'm hoping other people can have that opportunity. And I think that's imperative that more people are put in the system that are given more long-term services 
because the staff start making them the news is actually good for nobody and more important the person who is suffering with their mental health. What is the system doing right? Uh, I think what the system is doing right is it's actually they, they've had the opportunity to triage people to be, you know, fed into uh, like a central intake. I think that's very important. Um, some other parts, like you say, what government is lacking is what the community services are picking up, i.e., uh, you know, Channel, uh, Canadian Mental Health, Schizophrenic Society, or, or faith-based organizations sort of thing. So I think the ability to have people of like-minded people around and the people that are running those organizations supporting individuals, knowing that, uh, you know, people have good and bad days, I think that's critical for all of us, and I think that's something that needs to be emphasized uh, through the quote-unquote uh, medical system. Does that speak to better mental health training right across the board? That's true. Yeah, that, that is also very much so, Linda, because like you say, there's lots of trainings out there now with mental health first aid, suicide intervention, knowledge exchange, and uh, many other opportunities that uh, professionals and individuals that can take advantage of and I would uh, recommend anybody to take the opportunity to take some of these courses because you know when your own self could be dealing with a mental health challenge or a loved one at all and having the tools around you would be critical when you're in crisis. I have to say, I, I had an experience not too long ago in the men, in the healthcare system. It was in, in an emergency room, and I was there with uh, with somebody. And um, there was a, a woman in on the ward who was having a bad day. It was clear that she was in crisis, and um, I watched various levels of the healthcare system and some of them not even healthcare workers some of them were um, uh, security and others were police officers and others were from the fire department uh, but also nurses and you know other healthcare professionals um, in that realm and on every single level of of the people who um, were uh, intervening and, and helping this woman I have to say I, I was it was a real eye-opener for me. The, the level of compassion, respect, and professionalism that was shown on every level in this particular case, and I'm not saying it's true of all cases, but in this particular case, really opened my eyes to the level of training out there and how uh, this woman was treated with the utmost uh, respect, humanity, and professionalism. And in the end, she was, she was cared for if you know what I'm saying. She, she was genuinely cared for. Um, and she was having a very, very bad day, it was clear. Uh, is that your experience? Is that the experiences, you, some of the experiences you're hearing lately? I know there are bad situations as well. Uh, but, um, you know, what, what's your observation? No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Linda, at all. I mean, uh, I do the perspective of, like, Pre to the pandemic, I was I've been involved with pastoral services at the Waterford Hospital, and once a Sunday per month, myself and my team would be down there to offer that. And when we would go up and retrieve people off the various wards down there, uh, just the I think the change in terms of the staffing and the management, and the willingness of knowing that people are human beings despite what they're going through, 
And one of my team members told me a story many years ago at all that there was an individual that worked at another of, of the St. John's hospitals that when this particular, our particular group came down, they would switch uh, shifts that this person would be working at Waterford so that they could have the opportunity at the time, I don't think it's now because of staff storages, to actually come down and receive part of the service and part of the message. And when that individual came down who themselves were going through their own crisis, really felt that this person had to be there sort of thing. So it's absolutely incredible what has changed. And I think the more that people know that everybody's dealing with something at all and, you know, keep the judgments at the door at all, uh, the better we are as a collective society. Uh, because there's always scenarios that, you know, people are human and people kind of lose control at times. That's just the reality of being human. It's the old Billy Joel song. But I think we really under have to understand is that the uh, more we can offer empathy as the theme of Mental Health Week, uh, the better we are as human beings to each and every one of us. The new adult mental health and addictions facility, of course, under construction up there on uh, Columbus Drive is going up. Uh, <laughs> it's going up really fast. <laughs> it's surprising. Every time I drive past, I'm like, whoa, wait, there it is. Um, I understand the mock-up rooms are now available to have professionals uh, go through it and make some recommendations. I also understand that people with lived experience have also had a look and, and given their recommendations before the actual units and, and rooms are, are put in place in the new facility. What are your hopes for the new facility? I'm hoping that it is a turning point for mental health in this province, and I would love to see the new facility, the new rooms, the overall building, not just the physical structure, but the operating structure, meaning in terms of the human resources and the culture, bring, move away somewhat from the medical model to the recovery model, and knowing that, you know, anybody who could be delivering service to individuals at some point could be receiving services sort of thing. So I think it's potentially a, a great uh, opportunity, a mind change, and I think new leadership is is needed, and I think it is there, but I think the other aspect that would be very important for people to know is that we need people, as I've said to others in interviews, people with lived experience need to be at the decision-making table, and it's not just in the issue of consulting with government and regional health authorities, but actually people with lived experience should be in positions of, of, of making those decisions. And hopefully, uh, I know it has happened in the community because I have actually pushed that to some of the mental health organizations across the country that um, being in senior leadership, they had to have a degrees of lived experience. And I hope government could also take that because it wouldn't be more important to have somebody either in the premier's chair or the minister of health's chair or any other ministerial table in this province or across this country having their own lived experience or having lived experience of a family member or friend. Now, a lot of what we've been talking about is related to what's happening here in St. John's with the new uh, adult mental health and addictions facility in particular, but what about supports and programs for rural parts of the province? Uh, I know the government has announced a while ago that they're putting in, I think, the six-bed facility in Happy Valley, Goose Bay. Uh, but I think uh, the rural piece also needs to be uh, pushed on. I know a number of the community crisis beds that have been allocated across the province will also go up at all. But the other perspective that I think government may have a disconnect 
and, and a lot of people that live remotely is that when people are in crisis, you know, I know the government pushes the aspect of, you know, the 811 or the bridge to gap and there are great services, nothing against it. I, I fully commend the good work that they've done over at the Department of Health and Community Services. But as I've said, and I've talked to others in urban settings, including St. John's and rural, is that when people are in crisis, number one, they would probably like to talk to somebody either face-to-face or over the phone. Or there's a lot of people, based on the economies of scale this day and, and the cost of inflation and, and cost of living, may not have access to technology, may not have access to connectivity at all. And I think that's the missing part that, like, if you really need to talk to somebody, either face-to-face or in person, those options should be available. And with any luck, you know, with the broadband expanding, that will may be better. But in the meantime, that would, on the surface, appear to be a fairly big gap. Absolutely. Absolutely, Linda. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, government, you know, as much as, you know, they're, they're touting the health accord as their long-term strategy, uh, the strategy has to be, you know, a, a short-term, medium, and long-term sort of thing. So, um, hopefully, government and the regional health authorities come up with things. Otherwise, it's default to community organizations or uh, uh, municipalities or uh, service service organizations, which shouldn't be. The work should be left to professionals inside the system. That's what tax dollars are paid. It's there to be paid for. This is Mental Health Awareness Week. My guest today on On Target is Glenn Royal. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. My guest today on On Target is mental health advocate Glenn Royal. This is Mental Health uh, Awareness Week. Uh, Glenn, what sort of work are you doing now uh, in the community in your advocacy work? Uh, some of the work that I'm doing in terms of my advocacy is uh, pushing uh, self in terms of that long-term mental health care, uh, like you say, uh, about uh, with the health accord, about those long-term more important services in terms of the housing support, uh, food security at all, basic income, I think it's very critical at all. Uh, some of the other stuff doing on more of a, a national level is uh, similar because, you know, the issues are right across the country at all and um, trying to engage other like-minded people and community organizations potentially to engage, do some fundraising activities to help to improve uh, mental health services for for individuals and and loved ones. Housing and food security, those are big ones. We've been talking a lot about that lately, and we've been also been talking about social determinants of health. Um, Are we doing enough in that realm uh, as far as uh, food security, housing, and, uh, as you rightly pointed out, uh, basic income? Absolutely not, Linda. I think, uh, you know, as has been exposed by this pandemic at all, you've seen the amount of people that have struggled. And uh, I think, uh, you know, Patty, on your, uh, Patty Daly on his show has made mention about, I think, the saying about, I think, is it a third of uh, Canadians seeking out food banks throughout this country? So that's nearly like, more than 10 million Canadians. Uh, the same thing about the issue of affordable housing at all. And I think... Uh, the issue and the basic income issue at all of all the various social programs, if it's people that are on social assistance, people on various disabilities, the EI system, you know, people that are on pensions, and the amount of people that are struggling this day and age is just horrendous living in one of the richest countries. And at the same time, governments are giving tax breaks to billionaires and some of the wealthiest corporations. At the same time, the most vulnerable citizens 
are, are struggling. And I think it's scandalous. And I think, you know, the call, I think, provincially in the House of Assembly for a all-party committee on uh, basic income needs to happen now. And as I think the uh, individual, the budget director for uh, Parliament has come out recently and they said if you actually collapsed all these social programs and offered a universal or guaranteed basic income to the country, we would actually be in money. So it's a political will. And I call on the Fury government and I call on the uh, Trudeau government as it's as happening or going to happen in PEI under uh, Premier Dennis King. Uh, they're exploring discussions with the federal government. So hopefully it can happen here because if people don't have their basics, it's ultimately going to again, it's going to cost dollars to people socially determined, either in the health system, criminal justice, or people may end up losing their lives. Glenn, you're uh, an optimistic guy. You like to see the glass half full. Um, just basing that on on our communications back and forth. Um, what is your message, I suppose, of hope and inspiration to people living with mental health? There's always a better day. Keep believing in yourself. Reach out. You're never alone. There's always somebody to talk to. And as I've personally, and we've all gone through up and bad days, there's always a chance to do better at all. Never feel that you have to hit certain markers in life as laid out because life is a continuum and people go through all sorts of circumstances at all. But as long as you're heading on the right journey, you've got the right supports and you're happy with your own self at all, continue at all. You only have one life to live, live it to the fullest. It's important. Build memories, build love, be happy, have good mental health. And any um, contact information or uh, places that people can seek out uh, the appropriate information? For organizations and services? Yeah. Yeah, well, like you say, uh, they could reach out to the Canadian Mental Health Association, uh, LifeWorks, the Schizophrenic Society, Eastern Health, uh, you search out there through the Mental Health and Addiction Division, uh, the provincial government. Uh, they can reach out to me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, on Twitter, or they can email me at glenn at stigmazero.com as well. Stigma Zero, I like it. Glenn Royal, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, really appreciate your time, your passion, uh, and your dedication to the cause. Um, thanks very much. Thanks, Linda. I appreciate the opportunity. All the best to you and your listeners, and good mental health week. Same to you.